And how much did you spend on like accounts? I would say I probably spent probably a quarter mil on accounts in my lifetime. Um, So yeah. And you lost them all. Blink of a finger, I want to hit $15 million next year. Um, Okay, well, I don't think most brands are sophisticated enough to actually manage that properly. Um, But at the end of the day, I still think it's a good decision for most brand owners to get on Amazon. I've ran my own businesses, I've managed my own teams, I've done it in different capacities. I've worked with some of the biggest celebrities and brands in the entire world. So I think college actually benefited me a lot, even in my early days when I was buying these accounts. That's why I was able to grow so fast. Welcome to episode 57 of New Money Talks. That's yeah, perfect. Natural. We have, we have <laughs> I'm shaking off the rust for the podcast. <laughs> there you yep. go. We have uh, Joel Padron or Jay Padron, depending yep. on how you know him. <laughs> uh, I feel like uh, you've had a lot of years in this space. Oh, you said 10 years, actually. And you're yeah, over sorry 10, to actually. age you here, but you're 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So since you were 20. Um, for some of the OGs, he was in the Twitter game back in the day. Yep. Um, for people who know CrossNet, he was part of that as well too. Did a lot of work with CrossNet, and now is the COO of Homestead. Yep, one of like the bigger agencies in the space. They work with like say Hexclad, Jambies. I like to start these off with like a banger, so like that's why I'm, yeah, I'm dropping yeah. a few st- things here. But like for people to actually understand, like you've seen a lot of shit. Um, so like I'm excited to have you on here. Um, I don't even know where we want to start with this one. But you, like, you did a podcast with Triple Whale not too long ago, right? Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, so I saw a couple of those clips. So this will be the first one that's in person for you, yeah? Yeah, I've done a few podcasts. This is the first one I'm doing in person. So Is that the one with Ash? Yeah, so that was with Ash and Raba. Yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. And that's that's remote. Yeah, we did that one remote. So that was that was a lot of fun just catching up with those boys, just sharing some strategies. So really cool with both of those guys doing great work. So. It's always fun to hang out, connect with everybody in the podcast. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get a rating from you at the end of this on how much better this was than any other <laughs> podcast you've been on. In person, it's always just a lot better, you know, because you can interact face to face. I dig it. I dig yep. it. Especially in Miami, too. Like, we're all oh, right yeah. here in Miami. This yep. is, uh, yeah, episode 57. So we're, we're, we're moving right now, but I'm happy to be here. I'll, I want to start off in a sense of like, I don't know where, where do I want to start off with this one. I'm curious, uh, first of all, how'd you get into this space? Let's start with that one. I hate to really start the bottom. I'm actually curious because it's like 10 years ago. Yeah. Like Shopify was like not what <laughs> Shopify was back then. Like yeah. you're doing some, you were like probably a co on some Twitter account. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> How did you guess that? Matt told me that this. word's been being thrown around. around this weekend. Yeah. This is the word's been thrown around. Kendall was saying he's a, he used to be a co back in the day too yeah. on Twitter. A lot um, of OGs. So I'm, I'm very curious uh, how you even found that world. And uh, we'll start with that. How'd you find the whole Twitter game and everything? I mean, boredom is a blessing when you're in college, (laughs) man. Like, honestly, just a summer night, like, just honestly taking a shit, just looking at my phone, (laughs) scrolling on Twitter and just being like, man, look at all these meme accounts. So I'm like, how does this guy have like 500,000 followers? So and then they're following like one person. So it's like a meme account. It's like a fake like Bill Nye, like account just tweeting off like out of pocket stuff so check it out and it ends up following like the guy that owns it so, makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah i end up just like straight up stalking his entire feed and like trying to make sense of what it is like they're like talking about what they're doing what it is and like they're really just like growing social media accounts on twitter monetizing them through e-commerce ads and like i just started piecing it together and like put put together some money started buying accounts growing them and got into the game um you mentioned like even coing like yeah i was i was in college i had no money so like you would work like a slave and you would tell people get- what a co is actually because i learned yeah. what it was yesterday <laughs> matt told me matt's like joyce asked me to be a co on our pages <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot and that's how you start man yeah so like coing is pretty much you're kind of like trading shout outs or retweets so for example like back then the way it worked is like you would promote two two pieces of content on your page and then one ad. And like every 20 minutes, let's say you have an account in a similar size, you and I would kind of like cross promote each other. Um, So you would do that every 20 minutes. So imagine doing that all day long on like five, 10, 20 accounts. So like- you're on your phone all day on Twitter. I was I was uh, terrible to go on a date with. I'm just like, look, <laughs> we're at a dinner, we're at the movies. I'm like, let me go to the bathroom real quick. <laughs> timer on my phone at all times, like every, actually every 15 minutes. What so. if you like miss this mark? You mo- you lose up on money, so it's on yeah. you. And like, how much money do you make with this type of stuff? I mean, starting off, you're you know, 
I still remember like my first week, it was like, cool. I made like 20 bucks a day. And then like a little bit further ahead, now you're doing like 70, a hundred, like as you keep figuring it out. So, um, I just kept reinvesting everything. Um, so I joined, I actually joined a little bit later. That's why I was asking to go and break into the space. But, um, within a few years, I was probably the biggest like individual owner of social media accounts in like probably the world. I had over 15 million at, at my peak. Um, so every day I was getting like six, like probably like six to 10 million impressions on my own accounts. Um, that's towards advertisers. So not even just my own accounts. Yeah. Fuck. Um, so like, yeah. Well, these accounts still exist or no? They wiped us all out. They wiped us all out. So I was big on Twitter. Now you see like on Instagram, like you could put a uh, post in partnership with like a company. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, we were taking a lot of money from native advertisement. So it was a lot cheaper to just like, instead of promote and run a Twitter ad, you pay me, I run your ad and you're getting like four times cheaper than the cost. And it's more effective. Cause like we can make it go viral. We can make it trend worldwide. So um, yeah, they, they ended up wiping us out trying to monetize. Didn't work so out they, well. So like they, they, they cut all the Twitter accounts, right? Yeah. So like it wasn't just me. They just wiped us all out. Like my phone was IP banned. Like it was, it was to the point where it's like, if you ever, if I ever signed on to my account in one of your like devices, it was gone. Like my ex-girlfriend, yeah. like her whole phone, like could never use Twitter again. Damn. Like anybody in my house, like my brothers, they couldn't use like anything for years. So like yeah. I had to wait till I got like new phone, new internet, reset everything. Like I was completely And how banned. much did you spend on like accounts? Ooh. I mean, I spent a lot of money, so it was it was kind of wild. I even still have a lot of like the the wire transfers and everything. Like, imagine being like twenty something years old and you're wiring like thirty, fifty grand to like somebody in the UK. Someone um, in the UK, like a God, random guy. Man. And and it worked. Yeah, it yeah. all worked. So I would say I probably spent probably a quarter mil on accounts wow. in my lifetime. Um, so and yeah. you lost them all. <laughs> Blink of a finger. So I've had my, I got to a point where I had an employee kind of running the full business for me. Um, we're just like having our call and he's like, yo, the accounts are like disappearing. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? He's like, go and check. And like, sure enough, you open your phone and you're just seeing them like disappear off of it. So really in the blink of an eye, like my whole business that I worked on for like four or five years just Jeez. disappeared. Even ones that weren't violating like technically any terms of service, just gone. So like everything was gone. So one guy, I don't know if you know Richard Henney. Sounds familiar. From, uh, Ivoriella. Yeah. Well, he was saying it's against terms of service to have multiple accounts on any of these platforms. That's where people like lose, actually. That's that's exactly it. Like their terms of service are so broad that it's like if they ever want to take you out, you're everybody's violating yeah. something. Like technically, you even retweeting like a post could technically violate TOS. Really? Like, it's like if you're using the software, if you're doing it repeatedly, if you're doing this. So it's like they're so broad that if they ever want to go after you, they can. And like you don't even get an email. There's no appeal process. There's nothing. It's just goodbye. See ya. And that was everybody. So all of the biggest like um, content creators really on on Twitter at the time, like just wiped out. And now these were mostly like meme accounts or were they niche accounts where it was about like animals or something like that? Yeah. So they were, they were mixed. So that's one of the crazy things that I did a little differently too, is I went high volume. So a lot of people were very concentrated with like five accounts that had like a million followers each. I ended up having like over a hundred accounts. So I had, you know, meme accounts. I had ones that I had a full list of like animal ones. So eventually I started, <laughs> eventually I started like a brand, an e-commerce brand that was focused around animals. So I had like the parent and then every specific popular animal breed, I would have their own accounts. Wow. They would cross promote each other. So like I had, yeah, it was like, I had the monopoly yeah. on it. It was pretty cool to see like every big celebrity, like the biggest celebrities in the world like, following your accounts. Yeah, that's nuts. So it'd be like 20, like, let me slide into Skrillex DM. Like, yo, you're playing in Miami. Can I get some tickets? Like, you're sending it from like a puppy account. Yeah. <laughs> how, how have you seen that? If you've still been in tune with it at all, how have you seen that space change over the years? I mean, I feel like it just kept going. So I was in, in it very early. Obviously, now it has, you know, a more established name of influencer marketing. Um, now it's more individuals, but like on Instagram, those meme accounts are still there and huge. They weren't affected with it like we were because we were primarily on Twitter. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of kept going. It's it's a shame that like I bet on Twitter thinking that they were too dumb to do anything, but uh, it turns out they were so dumb they did something and ruined the platform. Yeah, so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's true. a bar right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so as a fellow agency operator, uh, I have an agency called Scale Brands with a K scalebrands.com um we do a lot of the similar stuff there, to, we do a lot of similar <laughs> stuff to what you guys do at homestead 
So I'm very curious to see the evolution of that because do you, do you know how old Homestead is in general as a company? Yeah, we're coming up on like five years. Yeah, so we're like two, two and a half years old. I'm sure you can, you guys can relate. You're always learning something new every day, coming across new challenges, learning new acquisition channels and delivery systems. Like TikTok literally just came about like three years ago, right? So like yeah. when you guys got started, it probably wasn't even something you were offering. But I'm very curious to just know, it, like to a fellow agency owner that's listening, because there's a lot of agency owners, people looking to get into the agency space. What are some like piece of advice that you can give them based on some of the things that like you've learned with Homestead? Yeah, that's a good point. It's there's constantly a lot of new developments. Um, I take kind of like a different perspective where I've been in the space for a while and I like to try to stay on like what's tried and true and longevity. So like um, I really focus on the core offerings. I think a lot of people get shiny object syndrome. Um, I do help a lot of like freelancers or individuals trying to like break into the space. Like I think in that case, it makes sense to go after something new and see if you could crack it. So like TikTok, like if you were able to do well, like you've been able to have a lot of success, but if you're going after threat, like threads or something else, like if you're just hopping yeah. on those things, like you're not like, you're not going to be able to build something big for the long term. I think that's the big difference. Like it's good to get your start doing something very niche and new. Like specialize. Yeah. yeah. But then I benefited a lot from generalizing. And then now at the stage that I'm at, like at Homestead, realizing the power of just going very, very deep and being the absolute best at a service that a lot of people need is going to be around for years. Yep. You need that stability in order to grow any large business. If it's super volatile, like it's tough to grow a business to a certain scale. Yeah. Hundred percent. I I think yeah, a lot of people they they try to be a jack of all trades at the very start instead of learning one thing very well and just trying to be the best of that one thing. But you know, like things like TikTok, a lot of people are jumping on and saying, "All right, I know you're running Facebook, I know you're running Google, but like TikTok Shops, have you heard of that? Have you tried that?" And it's a good like yeah. lead magnet, it's a good hook. But there right now, there's a, some incentivization with TikTok Shops where they're like subsidizing the purchase. I know you 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 were yeah. mentioning that yesterday. Um, it's a good term to use because that's exactly what it is where the, the value of the product might be a hundred bucks and they'll discount it $30 to the customer, but the merchant will still get a hundred dollars. Yeah. So like, that's cool. That's really smart as a marketing play on TikTok side of things, but that's not going to be around for a month or two. So there's people that are now pitching that as a service, like, oh, get on TikTok shop. It's super hot. Like it's going to blow up over the next couple of years, but it might just have that boom kind of yeah. like how IG threads did and then just kind of level out and fizzle out. And so it's better to be good on Facebook, be good on Google, email and SMS, like regardless of if, like if Clavio shuts down their platform tomorrow, doesn't matter. Like yeah. you can, you'll, you, you can just pivot to any other email marketing platform and figure out the same flow, same campaigns and systems and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the TikTok one is interesting. Cause like even going back when I was promoting, like I was, I didn't believe in TikTok when it originally came about when it was musically first. That's so true. I was actually running campaigns on my Twitter days for them and they were doing the same strategy. Just oh, for pump TikTok, money. right? It was musically at the time. Wow. And then it became TikTok. So I was just like, hey, I don't think it's gonna work, but their checks are clearing, so I'm gonna keep pumping this thing. You know, they were they were whoever was paying the most, and they just bulldozed their way into the market, as we saw. Um, obviously, then like on the paid agency side, like there was a lot of hype then once they launched their ad platforms, you know, CPMs are really cheap. It was really cheap traffic, but everybody was trying to push that for a little bit. Didn't really have much success. Like probably like 5% of brands like have any meaningful results on there on the paid platform itself. Um, and kind of what you're saying, it sounds like they're, they're trying to do the same thing. Like how can we subsidize people to try to use the shops? It is working really well right now. But again, like how well will that work for the long term? Is that going to be another successful gamble for TikTok or not? I don't know. I bet against them before. Like, yeah, they might they might figure something out again, and I kind of think they might. So, and yeah, you're also saying that like Homestead focuses on like kind of like longevity offerings in a sense. Like, what what is that? Right? Is that just like is that paid media, Facebook, Google type of stuff? Yeah, pretty much. So we really focus on like the core offerings. Uh, we we try to consider ourselves like a performance agency, so we're really focused on driving maximum um, results from your ad spend. Um, Meta is still like one of the best platforms to do that. Um, very good top of funnel, great at conversion as well. But then also Google is probably like the secondary uh, spend channel. And then email SMS plays a huge part. Like you could have um, your paid acquisition set up right. But if your emails and SMS are like not set up right, you limit your success or you might even just completely lead yourself to failure. Um, so you kind of got to have both. And that's a big reason why we try to have as many of our clients using both services. So you have 
all the right tools for success. For sure. And I know you guys work with some big names like Jambies, Hexclad, stuff like that. What have you seen with a brand, say like Hexclad, that like makes it work? Yeah, they're they're a monster. <laughs> so yeah. they're they're a monster. Hey, New Money Talks fam. If your company serves D2C e-commerce brands, then you need to be using Charm.io. Charm is a premier e-commerce intelligent platform that tracks and indexes millions of e-commerce brands so that you can build the perfect pipeline of qualified clients. Charm's Prospector allows you to filter e-commerce brands with over a hundred different metrics like store platform, growth, tech stack, and more. For example, SaaS companies find brands on Charm that are using complementary tech, while agencies might use Charm to find brands that have low ad counts or stale ad creatives. Not only can you save your prospecting filter so that new brands that meet your criteria get revealed to you, you can also effortlessly connect Charm to your existing CRM. If you navigate to any brand report, you can get a deep dive into that company's performance. Their growth score measures how fast a brand is growing, their success score measures their overall lifetime success as a brand, and their sophistication score will share things like how advanced their tech stack is and integrations. You can also navigate to the similar section to see brands that might also be a good fit for your company. These in-depth metrics help sales teams prioritize outreach to key targets and reach out to prospects with personalized messaging that fits their needs. Wanna see what this could look like for your company? After only six days of using Charm, the advertising agency Hey Social achieved the following. They sent 2,958 emails, five times higher than their average within that same set time frame. They had an email open rate of 75%. They added 34 prospects with an average value of $88,000, and they booked 14 discovery calls with a close rate of 14%. So go ahead and request a free trial of Charm today using the link in our description and get up to 100 free brand reports. Now let's get back to the podcast. So they play a totally different game than, than other brands just at that size when you're a nine-figure brand. Um, you've got you know several partners. You've got, you're doing so many different channels. Um, for us, like I would say the standard brand, like most of our brands are in the, at, probably in like the eight-figure annual revenue range. So most of them, they're really still trying to hone in on, on, again, their core channels. I think really get your meta built out, get your um, email SMS, and then start kind of like really focusing on other things like your actual business. So like your products, your, um, just like return customers, your unit economics, all of these factors is what lets you scale a lot less than trying out a new channel. Um, we've seen so many big brands that could build a monster just off one channel, two channels. Um, so I think that's what makes the winners, that's what separates the ones that are winning and those that aren't. They're really focused doing a few things really well than trying to scatter themselves and not really end up having much success. For sure. And like, is there like a, um like see with these eight figure brands, they're like kind of a combination of stuff and like attributes that you see in these brands, like recurring, like high AOVs. Like, like is there anything specific that you see? Like, okay, like a brand needs to have, like check these boxes yeah. to make it work. I'm curious what you've seen. It's a great question. It's a great question. Like that's one of the big benefits that I've had joining agency side is now like I have larger sample sizes and you're able to do a lot of pattern recognition of like what's l more likely to lead to success or not. Um, so some of our checklist is like, okay, what's your AOV? If you're trying to be a paid client, typically you've got to be like $60 or more. Oh, so you're asking them this. You're like, if you're not $60, like, oh, yeah. you won't even work with you type of thing. Yeah. We, we're pretty strict with that just cause we know it works. What doesn't like for us, it's like, you've got to be spending about like 50 K a month on meta. You've got to have an AOV of at least $60, $60 or more. Your margin's got to be above like ideally like 75% or better. Um, so we really dive into a lot of those things. It's also like, if you aren't able to break even on like a two row as like your, your business just probably isn't going to work. Yeah. The exceptions are sub subscription brands. Obviously those are more LTV plays. Um, but for a standard, like just physical product brand, you need to have those things in order to succeed. Like no matter what our agency or any other agency does, like we're running your ads, we're not running your business. So you've got to have the right pieces in place for any partner to be able to scale you. Definitely. Yeah. What are what are some of the characteristics that you see of brands that come to you that are like struggling with that you just see most often, right? Because obviously these companies, they might already be at, you know, 500K a million a month and they're coming to you and saying, we want to get to two, three million a month. What do you see the biggest issue being like the things that they lack or sales channels that they haven't been on, et cetera? Yeah, it's a great question and it does differ a lot from different brands. So that's one of the toughest things in our industry is like every brand is so different. You need a strategy that's kind of specific to a category. Um, a lot of brands have their own strengths and weaknesses. Some of them might be really good at product. Some might be really good at marketing, but suck at product. Um, so 
I think for most of them, I still think they struggle with the financial side. A lot of these brand owners, for the most part, it's their first time running like a real brand. Um, numbers is to, if you're creating a brand, you're likely more of a strat, uh, an ideas person. So you're not really good at like understanding the numbers, like understanding your cash flow, understanding a lot of these things that you need in order to grow. Um, it's very easy to kind of paint this picture of like all the things you're going to succeed, but like they don't know what it actually takes to do that. So it's like, I want to hit $15 million next year. Um, okay, well, do you have enough cash for inventory? Do you know how long it takes for you to get your inventory? Do you know how fast you turn that inventory? Do you know how much you're able, how much you're going to acquire a customer when you're spending more? Um, so there's a lot of variables that happen. And I think inexperience is one of those things that limits most people from reaching that. So asking the right questions, getting the right circles, working with the right partners that are, have already done it and can kind of coach you, I think is what they need. Um, so yeah, I think that's the big difference. Like they've just got to surround themselves with people that can solve those knowledge gaps for them. Um, because if they have the business, if they have the right business model in place, like they could absolutely do it. Uh, yeah. I know like that cash thing is a big thing. Like, do you think these brands need to raise some money? <laughs> I mean, right now, yeah. There's yeah. been like we we just came off of the COVID boom. Like a lot of these brands were like, I've been behind the scenes on it. Like they're just trying to maximize revenue and like go out of break even. And most of the times they're losing money. Like you hear it all the time. Like look in the public markets as well. Like a lot of these D2C brands are struggling. They're not turning profits. Now that there's, you know, a bit of a credit crunch, rates are up, it's tougher to get lending, credit lines are decreasing, it's tougher to get private equity or, or angel investments. Um, a lot of them are really struggling to like just continue to fund their business. So we've seen for sure a lot of downsizing and focus on profits, which overall I think is a great thing. I think people got a little delusional for a long time. So um, we've already seen that change in the last year, but with rates continuing to go up, holding strong, um, if you were a little over aggressive or kind of reckless previously, you're feeling that pain right now. Um, so it's an in interesting time in the landscape. So, so in a sense, they thought like, oh, my LTV is going to save me pretty much. Yeah, I'm not a big believer in the LTV plays, just transparently. Yeah. Okay. I don't think most brands are sophisticated enough to actually manage that properly. Um, there are several that are able to do so. But like what's, what's some good example of brands that are good at that? I mean, now you're talking about those big boys. Like now you're talking about those nine figure brands. So like Ridge, Hexclad, all of these, they have very strong financial understanding and they understand the impact of all their dollars and like what that means for their business, how low they could really fly down to the ground. That's the analogy they even use. Interesting. What, what does that mean? That really is like, okay, if you want to be really focused on growth, what's the, what is the most you're able to spend? And like, what's the, what's the most you're able to spend to acquire a customer without losing money for your business? Um, that right there, if you're focused, if now you introduce LTV to it, like LTV is not like, that doesn't factor into cash flow. Like you're counting on money that you might receive in the future. Mm. You're counting on things happening. Like that doesn't mean you have that cash in the bank. And it's like, guess guaranteed. what? Your employees, your employees, they need their cash yeah. every single month. So I, I'm not a big believer in LTV unless like you're really dominating and know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta break even on the front end. That's when it's beautiful. All those brands that do rely on LTV too, they're all five, ten years old. So it took them, f you know, four or five years to figure out what that even looked like, like what that cash conversion cycle, all that fun stuff, like even looks like. Yeah, it takes a lot of data. the The economy obviously has had a lot of swings, so there's a, not, a lot of anomalies in your data. So it's a great point. Like, how can you create an LTV analysis when you've just started? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> well, you need triple oil. That's what you need. <laughs> the cohorts. There is a lot of great tools out there that help you out, which is a great thing. Um, before a lot of those tools, we were flying pretty blind before. So at least now with attribution and like these tools that help you understand your data, making it a lot easier for brands, it has, has been a positive. A lot of them still get a little tripped up and confused or go a little too deep in it. But I think yeah. at the end of the day, it's been like a really big positive in the industry. What do you think are like, say two or three key metrics brands should be looking at like day-to-day -day type of thing. Yeah. So I'm actually not a big fan of like looking at day-to-day -to -day too much. Okay. I always like to try to take more. The one thing that I really explain to brands is they get really focused on, like we just talked about LTV. They're really focused on these like marketing metrics. I try to always shift brands and our own team to look from an accounting perspective. The reality metrics. Correct. <laughs> that's what the investors, that's what the brand owners are looking at. That's what matters at the end of the day. So I try to always convert everything into an accounting metric and kind of reverse engineer it for our team. So an example of a metric is contribution margin kind of a fancy word for gross profit. Really what that is, is like, okay, well, if I sold you this product, that's $100, it cost me it cost me $20 to make, 
that let's say theoretically I have $80 left, right? Well, I could spend 80, if I spend $80 to acquire that customer, I broke even. So you have zero contribution margin, but what you're not factoring in then after, so it's like you have fixed expenses, your oh, employees, employees, your overhead, so, yeah. your fulfillment, yeah. all of those things. So you have to generate enough, enough growth, uh, contribution margin in order to pay for everything and ideally have a profit. Um, I try to look at it that way. I try to look at it that way. A lot of brands are looking at ROAS, which I think is incorrect. ROAS doesn't account for volume, which is why I prefer um, contribution margin. If I spend a dollar and I get one sale, I have a one sale of $100, I have 100 ROAS. That's fantastic. But at the end of the day, you have $100. Like you can't pay yeah. for anything. So I try again, Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very easy to inflate inflate that number so i really am creating scenarios for all of our brands to like understand how you could achieve that with different numbers but at the end of the day like i need to know what you need to cover on a monthly basis how much expected profit you want to make at the end of the month and then we reverse engineer it to like okay well we need to spend this much money and acquire a customer at this oh, much meaning like i have like say 10 employees each employee is going to cost me xyz per month plus the yeah, software yeah. per month yeah you got to make sure that you're yeah, generating yeah. enough profit to cover them I pay for your own payroll and then ideally have a profit at the end of the day. That's where it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't understand that and the, the, the sad reality is that most brand owners don't know this. Um, most, most don't understand it. So I think the more education that's happening in the space around these type of financial metrics, um, brands have a better chance of success because right now the, the standard is kind of, you get your P and L at the end of the year. You're like, I lost money. <laughs> yeah. How did I get here? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, a lot, a lot of brands overcomplicate that. It's like, look at the revenue. I, it, it depends on, you know, whether they're leaning on LTV or whatever, but on a month by month basis, like look at your total revenue, look at your total expenses. Like, were you green? Yes. Awesome. Were you not? Need some work to do, you know? What's, what's funny too is like so many brands, even, even now, like they might understand it, but they're so focused on still beating top line. They yeah. evaluate their success like, okay, I'm only up 102% compared to last year. That's terrible. I want 150%. It's like, sir, do you know, do you know <laughs> how amazing that is? Yeah. But they're just like, I want to keep beating every single year. Like the stonks only go up memes. It's so real. <laughs> it's so real. That's yeah. the mentality of most brands is like, I didn't go up 200% this year. Absolute failure. Yeah. But then you look at the PL, it's like, last year you lost like 50 grand. This year you made 2 million. Yeah. That's a great thing. Yeah. Seriously, that's funny. Yeah. Also, so you were at Crossnet too for, say, two years? Yeah, I was there for two years. That was a lot of fun. What'd you do at Crossnet? I mean, that was, that it's was, like, really what did fun. I do at Crossnet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was fun. It was, it was great to be kind of like one of the first like marketing employees there and really build out a team. So for me, I had a lot of experience kind of building my own seven figure brands. Um, that was my first time to like, hey, you know what? I want to jump in the playground. Oh, you, had, you had brands before that too. Yeah. So I started off some of my own e-commerce brands, you know, got them to seven figures. Um, so that was good. I felt like I knew what I was doing, um, but I want to like test myself. Honestly, CrossNet was a great opportunity. So jumped in, I really wanted to learn different sides of the business. You know, they have a retail presence. That's something unique uh, that I want to learn about. I've never sold a product that's in stores. Um, so for them, you know, they were an eight figure brand. They were selling eventually in Canada, Australia. They've expanded even beyond that since. Um, so getting to run kind of their global DTC performance marketing was honestly incredibly fun. I think I attribute a lot of the success that I have now to, uh, being able to go deep there. And that's also why I understand like what brand owners struggle with, because I've been in those conversations with their founder founders, helping them solve through those problems together. Um, and now I'm at least able to share those same learnings with like our 60 plus clients at Homestead. Definitely. So like you were running the, like the, <clears throat> like the direct response paid ads in a sense over there. Yeah. So I wasn't necessarily running the actual ads. So we utilized agency partners okay. for, for that, but I would oversee the strategy and just really help still with the ad creation, help with products, help with landing pages, help with copy. So for a product like that, which is like kind of just like a, they just made a new thing in a sense. Like, how do you make that work? I'm very yeah. curious. <laughs> it was, it was really cool. So like even some of the learnings when I jumped in is like, okay, it's kind of a, it's a four square volleyball net, you know, it's kind of a combination of nostalgia, but it's also something cool and brand new. So obviously video is the best way to kind of demonstrate something brand new. Um, but I think one of the interesting realizations I had when I jumped in is like, you would think it's meant for college kids. Like it's, it's volleyball, it's athletic, it's high school and college kids. And then I jump in look at the data and you're like, it's mostly moms buying this for their kids. Wow. So oh, yeah. 
that was one of the biggest learnings where it shifted a lot of our approaches. So now in our ads, instead of getting like Olympian athletes that are like doing all these crazy things, it's like, no, I just want kids and their family in their backyard, just hitting the ball around and making the messaging around moms. And like as crazy and easy as that is, like, it's not like I created anything wild. That's what made like probably one of the biggest impacts in like promoting the business online. Interesting. Um, so it's, What's up, New Winnie Talks fam? As most of you may know, how you handle your supply chain and your inventory management as an e-commerce brand or a 3PL can make or break your business. Inventory management can be extremely tedious and daunting, and that's why there's tons of different solutions to help simplify this process. However, none of them come close to what InfoPlus has to offer. InfoPlus is an all-in-one warehouse management tool that helps you streamline your warehouse operations, and automate processes to save time, reduce errors, and elevate your inventory management. InfoPlus can help you increase order accuracy to over 99% and help boost on-time shipping rates to over 99% with centralized workflows, real-time inventory tracking, order prioritization, and automated shipping processes. And their awesome customer support team is there to help you configure everything in a way that is specifically tailored for your business's unique operational needs. InfoPlus also has hundreds of shopping cart integrations, exclusive carrier connections, and effortlessly syncs data with other platforms using their open API. InfoPlus is trusted by some of the world's leading e-commerce brands, such as Walmart, Amazon, and eBay. So click the link below and check out Info Plus today to level up your warehouse management operations. Now let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, it was a really cool, unique learning that you would never really expect. Did a lot of like the Facebook ads work from the beginning with that product or no? Yes, um, it definitely grew a lot during the COVID period when people were stuck and like it was nice for like technically you are far apart. You're able to hang, have people over your house and play. So technically you're like six feet away. Yeah. Technically you are six feet away. <laughs> you're social distancing. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of funny actually. So it, it was, it was good where we had that tailwind that things were blowing up. Um, but yeah, it was just a really cool product that was new. It's unique. There was nothing like it. Um, and then promoting it online when people are stuck, just staring at their phones all day. I mean, it made, it made my job and all of our jobs a lot easier. For um, sure. Was there a lot of like, uh, your learnings from like Twitter and everything in that as well too? Yeah. That's where I learned a lot of like copied understanding, like psychology. So as I, as I mentioned, like kind of going back to like promoting towards like moms, it's like, okay, well I understood a good amount of copywriting. Like if I'm writing memes, like I am a killer short, like short form copywriter. Um, so making headlines, making anything that really hooks people is something that I was good at. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing that helped us like really be able to communicate in our ads, hook somebody, be able to get them to watch the video, understand what it is and compel them to buy something that's like 150 bucks. Um, yeah, it's not cheap. Yeah, it's not cheap. That was, that was the the big challenge. And especially when like volleyball, isn't necessarily like the most popular sport in the U S um, that was another thing that we kind of learned too, is like we need to go mass market. So we were having debates of, should we promote this as a sport or as a game? Um, that was one of the early conversations. And ultimately, again, if you're trying to promote on something like Facebook and a lot of your targeting is broad, like you want to reach the largest audience. So kind of making it, promoting it to be more accessible, like it's height adjustable. You could have, you could play with your kids, you could play with your grandparents. Mm. Um, so just really conveying how this game is for everybody. Um, that was a big learning that I had when I was used to like, you can't like when you're running Twitter accounts, you can't control who's following you. So you have to kind of make mm, your message true. pretty broad. Um, so that kind of taught me how to like speak to a broad market, but still try to hone in on who my core buyer is. Interesting. And like, I'm just, I'm assuming that brand, I, at least I've always had with like a brand like that is like, it's high ticket, obviously, but like, who's going to come back and buy that again? That was, that was the other challenge where it's yeah. like, you don't have repeat purchases at the time. That was the only product we had to sell. Mm. Um, so eventually they started rolling out new products, like kind of like at least one pretty solid Do people product. come back and buy that again though. They would, oh, yeah, they like the separate product. So I think the second product we dropped was the pool version. So CrossNet H2O, that was a massive success. Like we sold out of that incredibly fast. Um, so that, that's like one of those unlocks every year, kind of release one cool other product that's different enough, but it's a different application. And again, I think that was a smart move too, where people, there's not many good pool games and it's something that's a little bit more accessible or more people are interested in that than a, just a straight up volleyball game. So I think that attributed to a lot of his success to kind of making something that's broad and for more people. 
that's a, probably a good way to grow the business like you have the one focus and you get to like probably like a, a point where you're like fuck this isn't kind of go anymore yeah everything like everything always changes and naturally decays over time like yeah you either we we did end up growing uh into other countries like that was one way to extend the life of like your hero product and keep tapping new audiences but in the u.s um introducing new products was like the best method so i think that's that's brilliant and that's typically like what you should do as a brand owner is like if you have something that really works try to make like an iteration on it that's different enough but still ties into the core product and like what your company vision is um and you will get a lot more repeat purchases like it's it's always easier to sell somebody a second time than the first time no that, that makes sense and then they also did a lot of retail too yeah they were they're really big on retail so that was a big component too like learning how your online advertising actually impacts in-store sales so that was most of like when i was there like the first year 100 of our budget was just going straight to online ads but like oh, yeah. we were that able to kind of see the impact on in-person sales um how, how do you like track that yeah there's different tools that kind of send you like a weekly sales report so like some of our biggest retailers were dicks and shields at the time so you would kind of have like i would have a tracker that would be like okay well this month this week we spent 10k more than last week like was there any impact on sales like and you know that's a that, that number is really small but let's say in the bigger sales period where we're spending like five hundred thousand dollars in a month like okay well yeah you saw the impact in store and for me one of the big things is like it's a it's a hundred fifty dollar product on the shelf. If you don't know what this is, you're not buying that. Yeah, so it's, it's very clear to kind of like assume, hey, like the education and the promotion that we've done online had to do with somebody deciding to grab that and pay for it. Interesting. Yeah, it's a it's like a hard item to like walk into. Who even walks into dicks? Honestly, for <laughs> you're going in there to grab something specific. You're yeah, not yeah, waltzing yeah. around the aisle like you know yeah. what that net cost a hundred dollars more than the other one. Let me buy it yeah. for sure. I've, another unlock I think a lot of brands fall into, which is good, is like Amazon too. It's like Amazon's a big unlock of revenue. And like, I'm sure a lot of brands at home said are on Amazon and kind of run with that. Yeah, CrossNet as well did did have Amazon and it was one of our big channels as well. So it was it was a unique experience getting to manage um, multiple channels in multiple countries. So you've got your Shopify sales channel, Amazon sales channel, you've got your wholesale partners. That's absolutely translated to a lot of our brands at Homestead. The, since we are working with a lot of eight figure brands, um, at that point, it makes sense for a lot of them to kind of go into Amazon. So we have a lot that are already there. And like the moment that we take over their ads on, on Meta, um, we're increasing their ad spend, their Shopify is going up, but then you see a very direct correlation that their Amazon sales go up. Um, so we try to encourage a lot of brands that it makes sense to do that. And there is a lot that are currently like onboarding and getting set up right now. So I think it's a great channel. Um, you've got to understand how to like track things because it can cannibalize a bit of your core yeah. business your shopify um but at the end of the day i still think it's a good decision for most brand owners to get on amazon yeah yeah i think for the brand owner it makes a lot of sense for the for an agency owner that might be trying to prove that they're doing a better job it can get a little bit trickier because like you said you know you you run a facebook ad they search it up on google and then instead of get hitting your google shopping listing they hit the amazon listing and now they're going to amazon and amazon's taking a big chunk of that 150, right? Like they might be taking $20, $25, something like that. And it's like, well, if my acquisition cost was 50, but now I have to pay Amazon 25, that's 75. And I can't even prove as the agency owner that I was the one who drove that that sale. It's that's, a challenge. It's a yeah. challenge for brands. That's that's the one thing where I said, like you have a risk of being of cannibalizing your own business, being on Amazon. Like how do you compete with two day, ship, two day free shipping? Yeah. And then in a lot of cases, like if you have a lower price product, if you got something that's 15, 20, $30, like, you're gonna have to charge them shipping most times, or it mm. eats up your margin. Yep. Amazon kind of just like takes advantage of you there. So. You don't own the customer data. You can't upsell, cross sell. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's good for product discovery and lower lower price products. I believe if you're a higher price product, it's probably best like just keep it on your website, protect all that margin, um, and don't compete against yourself. And would you say that there's like a certain level you should probably be at before making that decision? Like if you're a brand new company and you're you're at a thousand bucks a day. Probably doesn't make a lot of sense to expand over to Amazon. Maybe it does. I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a challenge where there's a lot of brands that have a lot of success originally in Amazon and they're trying to crack into Shopify. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of brands that have cracked it on Shopify trying to go to Amazon. So I don't think there's like a set answer. It differs by business. They're totally different ballgames. Yeah. So it's like, I think you should pick one. Pick one and figure it out. Um, if I were to talk to a brand new uh, brand owner, I think I would actually recommend going to Amazon first. First, And the reason being, you have less variables to worry about. All you have to worry about is your product quality and your listing quality. 
um, and staying in stock. Yeah. Like you don't have to worry about ads. You don't have to worry about costs. You don't have to worry about all these things. And like, if you're spending a lot more money on ads, that's more shipping, more products, more headcount. So I think if you're really starting out, you're kind of, you know, more inexperienced, limit the amount of variables you got to worry about to Amazon. Interesting. So like, uh, there's a one brand, I don't know if you've heard of it. I think they sold actually recently. There's like a pimple patch. Have you, have you seen that one? Yeah, Mighty Patch is it? Mighty Patch. They started on Amazon actually. Yeah. And they had, I think they had that similar strategy where just like go on Amazon and focus on Amazon. Just like don't have too many variables. Just like be good at this channel. Yeah. And they'll have enough demand that you can like, if you make a Shopify store, it can work type of thing. Exactly. And the other thing too is like that is a lower ticket product. It is. Yeah, um, you're right. It's a lower ticket product. It's really like cheap. It's easy to ship. Um, it makes a lot of sense for those to be Amazon. They have retail presence as well. And then at that point, you're doing the opposite. It's like, just spin up the website, see if you can capture a few more sales and just get it all for yourself. But um, Amazon's a great product discovery channel. Same thing with retail. A lot of those, you know, we've seen in the D2C space, a lot of these brands that just have nicer packaging than most, like most of the traditional brands, they stand out on the shelves. And that could be the difference between getting somebody to ju jump over and buy yours instead. Um, so if you're good at branding, probably go Amazon in a retail route. For sure. Uh, that, that's like Avi. Like we had Avi all the yeah. good. All three of them have been on this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out to the boys at Avi. But like they just got into retail. They got into Walmart. Yep. And even if you look on the shelf, like their stuff does stand out more than yeah, everybody else's. It pops. It's like bright pink and everything. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. it does make it's, it's a, it does make a difference. And like I'm assuming they're probably doing well there. It makes a difference. And yeah, like I even saw them post like they completely redesigned their entire products just to stand out on shelves, highlight the pro the, mm -hmm. the yeah. value props better. So now instead of you, you know, your ad typically is selling the product. Now they're kind of making their own packaging an ad. Like these are all the benefits that you'll get from it. Here's the expected results. Here's that. And, and obviously the colorway, like it pops, it stands out. And that's how you'll be able to try to get market share from other people. I feel like yeah. a lot of these like big eight figure brands are, are going to like slowly go into the retail. It makes a lot of sense. And they, they have been now, but like you're going to just see more like DTC is going to become like retail in a sense. After after my experience at CrossNet, I think it makes a lot of sense for brands. Um, those POs hit nice. Yeah, I'm <laughs> like, sure they do. Those yeah. PO checks hit really nice. Like it makes a really big difference. Um, so I I do think that D2C should start to like view themselves more as a business and not a D2C business. Like you should eventually expand in store as long as you have like the demand. It makes sense that people will buy it off the shelf. Um, it's it's going to be a big benefit and a lot of our larger brands do have that set up so that could be like another trend that you see i'm, I'm very curious like this is just like a, a random thought out of my head like before e-commerce existed how the hell did brands even like become successful on the shelf it's like it, it actually seems like a very hard thing to do yeah you know you really it, it is that's that's one of those things where it's like always it always goes back to the fundamentals like how at your at your purest form, how do you make your product stand out without, let's say, speaking a word or showing a video? So it, it really is like applying a lot of these different marketing elements that have been around forever into a different medium. I think that's the only real change. Like at the end of the day, whether there's a new platform like TikTok, new platform, wherever it is, the marketing principles stay the same. You're just learning how to apply it differently to take advantage of a new channel. Definitely. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And like, I think we've seen a lot of these brands have have like omni-channel presence. That's like the the buzzword in a sense, but yeah. it's true. It's like D to C, Amazon, a retail stuff like that. Actually, another channel that I've thought about too that like people don't talk about in D to C world is affiliates. That's been that's been getting more and more popular. It has been lately. We certainly have, and like if you, it's tough to crack, but if you crack it, I mean, it's brilliant. Ad costs keep going up, so if you get somebody else to pay them just on results, it's a win for everybody. Yeah, for sure. But like. Do you see any of these like eight figure DDC brands doing that type of stuff lately? Yeah, I, I definitely have seen a lot more of them doing that. Um, a lot of them do have those partnerships. Usually once you're at, at that size, you have loyal enough following base that will kind of promote for you. That's fair. Um, so I think that's something they should continue working on and like implementing. It isn't one of the first main things that I would recommend. That's certainly like after you've got your main channels down, then that's what we're taking a look at. Um, it will be like a slower start, but if you could get it going, it's always nice if you've got some, some like cash just falling in your pocket every month for not doing yeah, much. For sure, you just gotta fulfill it. That's pretty yeah. much it. I mean, fulfillment's kind of easy. Yeah. If you need anybody, <laughs> talk to these guys. That's funny, that's funny. What, what uh, I was gonna ask for, uh, so for Homestead, you were with them during a period of pretty quick and rapid What's growth. That sound? 
Someone probably it's drilling something in a wall. Oh, okay. I thought it was like <laughs> the, the mics are great, so they'll drown yeah. it out. But I was going to ask, uh, as you were at Homestead, you experienced a pretty big like growth phase of like acquiring new clients. Was there any big levers that you guys pulled in order to be able to increase that volume? Like there, there might've been a time where over two, two and a half years, you know, you were stuck at getting X amount of clients a month or maintaining X amount of clients at a time. And then all of a sudden, like something, a flip just switched and you started getting more. Like, yeah. did you experience that? Or, and if so, like, what, what were those things? What's up, New Money Talks fam? If you operate any type of business dealing with sending and receiving payments internationally, chances are you've probably experienced slow transaction speeds, high fees, and poor user experience with a multitude of different payment solutions. And we experienced these same challenges before we started using Payoneer. Payoneer is a secure and global payment platform that helps save up to 70% on international bank transfers and get paid faster, whether you're sending money to virtual assistants, employees, or doing B2B transactions. With Payoneer, you can not only send and receive payments globally, but also effortlessly manage payments and transactions with the help of their 24-7 support team by your side. Payoneer has facilitated secure international payments since 2005 and supports over 190 countries with over 70 plus accepted currencies. So you can definitely trust them as your payment platform. So go ahead and click the link below this video and try Payoneer for your next international payment to see how it goes for yourself. Now let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, I think it was really clear for us where it was talent. Like agency is so much about their people. And I think one of the big things we started doing is like really getting top talent. Like we were really getting like the best of the best from other agencies and like other competitors, not necessarily competitors, but like other notable brands in the space. So we're not bringing in somebody junior and trying to train them up and maximize their profit. Like, no, we're trying to get the smartest people in here that can do the best work possible. They cost a lot more, but we would make that investment and it ended up paying off where we're doing better work for our clients. Our clients are happy. They stay around longer. Their billables go up because we're scaling them. Yeah. They refer their buddies. Um, so for us, that was like the growth hack, honestly, like don't be cheap, get the best talent, make the quality of your work better and better and better. Um, that's something else that we did. We started adding on like free creative strategy. We, we would edit, we edit your own ads, like videos and statics for free. Like all these are for free mm -hmm. in your standard offering. Every other agency that I know typically charges you extra for us. We know that's a part of success. So we kind of like bundle it in. Um, so for us, that's been our KPI is just like, do the best work possible. Our goal has never been growth, but by just doing such good work, we've grown incredibly fast, but we've really tried to uh, do our best to like maintain quality. And as I said, like we've actually increased the quality as we've grown. Um, now that I'm COO, that kind of was my goal when I jumped in traditionally, like the larger your agency, people expect you to start being worse. Um, I think I'm pretty proud that for us, like our work speaks for itself, that we're just getting better and better and better. Um, and our pipeline continues to reflect it. We don't do any outbound. We're just like, just do good work and like yeah. everything works out. Yep. And and how involved are you guys on the creative side within your offerings? I mean, we could be incredibly involved. So we do whatever it takes to succeed. Like we have capabilities to shoot our own UGC. Like if you ship us product, like we'll do an unboxing video. We'll get like the B-roll shots. We'll write the entire scripts. If you're doing a, sh a shot or a, a shoot, we'll send you exactly what we need. Um, so we're incredibly involved. And again, like these things are, these are things that we go the extra mile for free because yeah. it makes the difference for brands. Like if you're, if you're a brand and you're sending me trash assets, I can't turn that into gold. Like yeah. if I take the time to tell you like, Hey, send me a voiceover of exactly this. Now we have a chance of like making a really good ad. So we're, we're trying to be as involved as possible throughout it. And like, we'll get our hands dirty if we need to. And, and the team you guys have, is it all US? Yeah, we're pretty much only US. We do have some in, some in Canada as well. Um, so most of our team is all there. Again, we get the best of the best. We're not one of these agencies that is like just trying to get people overseas or do all this, do whatever's cheap. Um, we've really only hired like the best of the best. Have you found that you get the best results for the brands that come to you with existing like content acquisition systems that you just have to like help them refine and consult them on? Or are you guys just saying, hey, we're going to just build out your content acquisition systems from the ground up? Yeah, that was one of our new offerings that we started this year, like that getting really, really involved with the creative strategy where now we could create it ourselves. Like you just sent us the product and we could we could do it all. We have male creators, female creators, all different age, age demographics. Um, before that was a limiting factor where it's like, if you don't have good assets that you could send us, like we can't do much. 
Um, so we took that into our own hands and like, we do that all the time. Like, obviously we could charge you for fully done for you, but if we ever need something else or it could make an impact, like we just do it for free. Another question. I know I sound like I'm an interested like client, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think from the perspective of an agency owner, if you have brands that come to you that are working with other agencies for certain channels and they're like, I just want you guys for this specific thing. Do you guys also do that? Or do you try to say like, listen, you're going to get the best results if we kind of just take over everything. I mean, that's a great, that's a great call. We do, I, I do do a lot of sales calls and there are brands like that. Um, we never try to push anything like that. You know, we're totally happy with working with one. And what we always see is like, okay, they're so happy with how email or paid did that then they end up bringing over the other channel. And I think honestly, yeah. that's kind of a smart move. Like you yeah. should kind of dip your toes before you go and make such a big transition. Um, and for us, we do see like, 70% of our brands utilize us for paid and email. Mm -hmm. Those have the best chance of success. The ones that only utilize us for one, they might struggle because now there's parts of their, you know, business that we don't have too much influence in. And it really could be the difference between them having success or not. So we let yeah. them know, but we never force anybody. Yeah. What, uh, what are some stuff that you're doing outside of the, the agency space? If there is any like career wise. Yeah. Like what are some things that you maybe want to get into or that you've learned from that, that have catapulted like something else. I don't know. Yeah. I think lately something I've been doing a lot of is like, I just like helping out people and like consulting. So like I've done a lot of like free consulting for like, honestly, even some of our competitors, like agency, agency owners, freelancers, people trying to get their agency off the ground. Um, just kind of giving them like tips on like, here's what I did differently. Here's how you should structure your org chart. Here's how I would recommend introducing a new sales channel or a new offering. Um, I don't, I, I feel like that's a really big help for a lot of them. There's plenty of room for everybody to win. So if I could help somebody out, a lot of times they come back and help me back out, sending a client, sending something my way. So for me, it's kind of just sharing my learnings a little bit more with others. Um, that's kind of just always been what fulfills me the most. So I I've just been doing that for free, honestly, like yeah. the last couple of years. Um, so maybe next year I'll start putting out like courses or something like that, just so yeah. I can reach more people. Fortunately, don't have the time to jump on calls yeah, with everybody yeah, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's kind of what what uh, I'll have cooking soon. I've seen a common trend in like high performers where a lot of them are associated or involved in some type of consulting, advisory, like that that type of space. Just because it it you know re it reiterates number one, it reiterates the things that you know that you need to be doing within your service or within your business that maybe sometimes you're not as always mindful of because you're so far along that maybe you have to revisit the fundamentals. And so just showing someone that teaching them talking it usually reiterates that for yourself but then the second thing is like when when you are in the position to where you're showing someone else like what i, I think more of a more of just like the law of reciprocity like we were talking about the other day like the more that you give regardless of what you ask for like regardless of whether you charge for it or it's free you'll just naturally start to attract more things. You'll start to receive. And it's weird how that ha yeah, happens. Full weird, circle. So. I've, I mean, I've kind of done that. Like I said, I've, I've never had an issue like giving people free advice. That's how I got started. If people wouldn't take the advice, take the few minutes to answer a few of my questions, I wouldn't be where I am. So like, I just try to always pay that forward. Um, and I could say that too, like before, before I never had a chance to like, I guess, be reciprocated from that. I always ran my own businesses. Like it wasn't service-based. So now once I joined the agency, it's like the moment I made the move, I had a bunch of homies that are like, yo, I'm, I'm bringing, bringing my business over. Like I want to work with you. So I get that happening all the time. Like people that I might've taken an hour, giving them free advice one, two, three years ago, they're hitting me up just like, yo, thinking about moving agencies, let's yeah. talk. And it's like the easiest close. Cause it's like, yep. you've been helping them out for years. You for build free. that trust. Expect nothing at all. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. That's how I've kind of always done business and it's seemed to work well. It's also like free surveying too. Like you get on a call with these people that have problems that most of like your clients have, whether it's a client acquisition play or not, you just get to like ask them questions. Like, what are you struggling with? And kind of reassure either them or yourself that, all right, the things that we're offering like work and they work for the majority of, of brands that we talk to. I think that's yeah. a great point. Like you, you learn so much by teaching and then consulting or like just getting advice from others, like where are yeah. you stuck? Or a lot of times there's things that they might be doing that, as you said, you might not be doing as good yep. of a job of, you've lost sight of. Um, so it's just a constant learning. And I think the best way to learn from people, I, the best way to learn is from other people. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Brands don't do enough of that. Just like email, like sending an email survey of their customers and saying, hey, like how was your experience with shipping, with product quality? If we were to introduce a new product, what would you want it to be? And you give them like four options and like they click A. So like, let's say CrossNet, they, they had the, let's say they came down to a crossroad where it was like, 
no pun intended, <laughs> where they want to do like the H2O cross net or like, I don't know, a four-way ping pong table or something like that. Like just by surveying your customers and saying, hey, like here are your options, like on a scale of one to five, how good was your experience in this category? Like they'll tell you, especially if you give them a little like incentivization. That's a, like a good 10, ass product. 10% discount. Yeah, that would be smart, right? <laughs> that was a prototype. That was, that was a prototype. That yeah. yeah, that's, that's been prototype. But that's, that's a great point. And like, Funny enough, I know you mentioned like my Triple Well podcast and one of the strategies that I still recommend, it's so basic that most brand owners would benefit from is like set up a post-purchase survey, like no commerce is the one that I use, not affiliated, but um, really asking people like, I like it as an advertiser where I ask them like, okay, who did you, like, who did you buy this for? Is it for yourself? Is it a gift? Mm. A little bit about them and like, how do you intend to use the product? Like, what do you, or what do you hope to get out of it? And like that is where you should get your creative strategy from. Like so many yeah. people are just like, they, they, they're very heavy on the creative side, not so much on the strategy. So they'll come up with like all these ideas, like it's very creative, but nobody's like, that's not who's buying the product. Like, it's like that's speculative. not it's, it's like what you think is gonna work instead of what your customers are telling you is, is working. Right, I'm a big believer in that where it's like, yeah. look at the data, see what the biggest use cases are, who the biggest audiences are, and now make your ads and everything that you're doing speaks specifically to those rather than just it being a guessing game which i think too many people do instead how long have we been going for this one let's find out <laughs> yeah that was awesome sometimes the camera's fucking 60 minutes oh, that makes damn. sense that's yeah. nice <laughs> oh, the nice. best ones are that like i know are long but they don't feel long those, those yeah. are the best ones i would not have guessed that was 60 yeah yeah that's funny no like dude you've been in this shit for a very long time you've seen this thing like change so many times and i think it's kind of funny how like you go from like the dark web underground shit <laughs> to like 10 years later you're like one of like the nicer put together like nice polo like <laughs> homes homestead agency like it makes yeah. sense you know and like as you get older and everything you're like okay like let me use the skills that i learned here and like just keep refining keep refining keep refining i really, I really think that's the big difference to like the success that i've had and, and i still have right now is the years of experience so a lot of i've ran my own businesses i've managed my own teams i've done it in different capacities i've worked with some of the biggest celebrities and brands in the entire world to working with like somebody just starting off so like the the width of like all the different like things that I've done has helped me so much. Um, so for most people, that's like the wrong thing to do when you're starting out. Um, I think it's good to try out a lot of different things, go deep when you find something you like. But for me, it's benefited me a lot now, like 10 years later, having tried so many different things, like understanding it. Um, I think it really sets me apart from a lot of other people that they might've just been doing one specific thing for 10 years, but I think I bring a different perspective where I've seen so many different things and how it changes and understanding that. Um, that's something that I think is like kind of unique and it's, it seems to stand out for sure. Did, did you go to college? Yeah. So I actually did finish college. Um, I was, when I was starting to run my own businesses, like I think I was halfway through college. But, you went here in Miami? You yeah. I went to, Miami. I went to FIU. So, um, I was studying, I always want to run my own business, but I was like, don't study business, like study something specific. So I studied accounting and finance. So I was really good at that. Um, and then I honestly started my, my accounts when I was in college. So by the time I graduated, um, honestly, I was already doing pretty well. Like I was making a full-time salary. I did get like a job starting off, like kind of like a dream job. I was working in private equity right out of college. Oh, shit. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I was working 18 hour days, like not there, but like I would sneak off during lunch, go work on my own business, do that. And I, right when I graduated, I was like, you know what? Like I'm 21, like, let me like roll the dice, go off on my own, see if I can make it happen. Worst case scenario, go get your MBA, do something else. Um, within the first three months, I tripled my business. I was doing six figures at like 21, few months after graduation. And like, it just kept growing from there. So. Um, like fuck the private equity. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's cool. But uh, I'm making, I make more here like in a couple of days than I was there. So. I feel you. I feel like it can go both ways. Are people like, uh, where school's like good and getting a real job is good and then a lot of ways it doesn't make sense to do it you know in my case i think like because i was very intentional of what i studied like i applied a lot of that and like even our podcast a lot of the things that i'm looking at it is from a unique perspective of counting and finance um so understanding those things especially if you want to get in business i think is really helpful it applies to life like you're learning about how money works that is very important um so i think 
college actually benefited me a lot even in my early days when I was buying these accounts, that's why I was able to grow so fast. Like I understood if I'm getting my money back in three months after I buy it, this is an incredible opportunity. Like I was doing digital, it's, I, I looked at it as a digital real estate business. Mm. Yeah. That's all it was for me. It was digital real estate. So I was like able to raise like money on the outside. Even once I got it like figured out, I'll just like take out like loans from family because what bank is gonna lo loan me money to buy a twitter account so uh yeah i would just do whatever it took to get as much cash as i can buy his accounts get your roi in 90 days after that it's pure cash every single time so um it benefited me a whole lot i remember being in class like i'm gonna apply this to my business so <laughs> yeah i forced myself to just Dude, finish if it. if only you bought instagram accounts rather than twitter yeah. accounts <laughs> sorry I bought, I bought a few i bought a few and i sold them off because i was like i'm still making more on twitter but oh. it's fine i knew that that part was only going to be temporary so that's why like once once that chapter ended i was like let me go for something that i could do for the next 30 years of my life then the next like three years that makes sense no curious did you ever get involved in like the crypto nft scene at all oh yeah oh yeah i did <laughs> you did i did so i, like I took I miami took loves that over here <laughs> i i was pretty early in crypto so i took a lot of those profits into crypto actually so um i was buying up a ton of ethereum at like 50 to 100 dollars um, wow yeah so what I, year was that that i can't even remember 20 2018 maybe wow. earlier i don't know ethereum was i was buying it i bought my first ethereum at like 30 bucks Jeez. so i was in there pretty early so i was putting like i remember being like on vacation and like mom i need you to go to the bank wire 10k into coinbase i need ethereum before it hits 100 <laughs> and like so yeah i i ended up going really high on there i got greedy honestly i wanted to say that i made one million dollars in a year just from crypto and it tanked like the night before i was going to sell it wow so Still made, still made some good money, but I was like, I got, got greedy being that young and having so much early success that like money just didn't feel real. Um, so it was, it was, I think it was a good lesson where it was like, learn from that early on. I did learn a lot of lessons, like money isn't everything, like being on top and like accomplishing your goals that you thought you would hit when you're 40, when you're 22, um, was, was pretty life-changing. So yeah. Definitely involved in crypto, made a lot of money, lost a lot of money. Um, so it's it's a fun, wild, wild west. What got you into all that? Um, I was just always looking into like, I've, I'm always like keeping a pulse on like new things. Um, I know I never gave a crap about Bitcoin, but then I started reading about like Ethereum and understanding all of its utility cases and me understanding finance and like how it could really shift how like a lot of things work in the world um i was just interested and i was like you know what let me put some cash i understood like trading enough um so yeah i i just did it it's interesting damn everybody's in a little bit of everything at some point or another yeah not in it anymore have, yeah. have not been in a while took took all that money put it in real estate instead nice and safe Never baby. Going back <laughs> in. that's maybe if it crashes but uh yeah at this point i'm just like after seeing how you could have made an incredible incredibly large amount seeing it dwindle i'm like you know what like Let's play things a little bit more safe. Like I've got more maturity, more time behind me, understand yeah, how the yeah. world works. What kind of real estate have you bought? Um, I've mostly just done residential. So I, I have uh, a few Airbnbs that I rent out. I haven't done a crazy lot, but um, understanding how that's still just like pretty safe. You know, obviously right now I'm not investing, um, but understanding how it works, all the all the advantages, it's an inflation hedge. So there's there's so many benefits to it that that's certainly where I'm keeping a lot of my cash, like ready to go whenever there's more opportunities. So I think I bought my last ones during the bottom of um, of COVID. So before I was doing CrossNet, I was actually doing real estate lead agency, got my real estate license. And I was just like, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna learn through trial and error and then put my cash behind it once I get it. So that's what I did. I started buying some properties then. All like single family homes sort of stuff? Yeah, it was like apartments. Yeah. I, I didn't have a ton of cash at, at, at the time. So I was like, let me do smaller bets. It's my first ones. So I did that. And like within a year, they like doubled. So yeah, it was like the good time. Yeah, I knew like that was the nice thing. Like I was able to represent myself. I sourced the deal myself. You I saved negotiated money, myself. You saved money on the commissions. Oh, commission yeah. went straight to me. I got paid after closing costs. Yeah. And then it's nice when like the listing agents are trying to like tell you all sorts of all sorts of BS. They're like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of offers. There's all this. I'm like, no, I can see that this has been listed for 90 <laughs> days. The price hasn't moved. Here's the comparables. Here's that. So like that was one of the cool things that I wanted to do. It was like my little side quest. Um, and it's nice to see that like it paid off just like 
yeah play hardball yeah yeah so that's awesome that's been a cool conversation yeah where can people find you too like do you want people to find you or not really (laughs) (laughs) only follow me on twitter so twitter i'm uh joel padron there's two ends at the end of it um that's where i'm most active for business if you want to check me out on my website joelpadron.com we have a website too oh shit we'll get it we'll get it linked in the description (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then if you want to work with our agency homesteadstudio.co um, we do paid social, Google, email, SMS, a little bit of creative strategy and landing pages. So if you're a seven, eight figure e-commerce brand, hit us up. You got to be legit to run out of work with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to be spending some cash. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of practicing what we just preached and, and get feedback uh, on how this podcast experience was. If there was something we could have done better or worse, what, what would be it honest, be? And be honest too, be honest. Rip us uh, apart. Yeah, rip us apart. Rip I'll take apart. it. I don't know. That was pretty, that was pretty smooth, man. I know we went on the we went on the fly, so I had it was just like free flow. I have no idea where we're gonna go. Yeah, we didn't. Do you, do you like? You're a type of guy that likes structure. I can tell. I I typically <laughs> like structure, but when it's like to podcast, um, I'm very. I guess I could just like I could get you the sound bites if you need. Yeah. So it's like the other thing is I don't know I don't know what the vibe is. So like I don't know if I should be cussing or not. If I should be like like yeah. Oh, so we well, gotta we gotta preface that next well, it, time. It's funny because like. I love when we start these things because some people don't give a fuck. Some people like are like like this. Yeah. There's like a middle ground. Somewhere it's like kind of crazy. I I had a, I switched it up, yeah. gave you a little bit of both because yeah, I'm like I don't know what the vibe is because I could just be like wild as fuck. Wait, because like, you go on triple whales thing, you gotta be like you know a little, <laughs> a little, bit, a little bit polished, a little bit polished. <laughs> I think that is one of the good things. I could be polished and I could I could be the opposite. Hundred yeah. percent. Um, but no, podcast is great. First one in person. It's yeah. Just like, I mean, I think the best part is that I didn't have to go anywhere. I'm like home on yeah. my own couch, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, awesome. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on. On our end. Kyle, who are the sponsors? I can't tell you. He asks me this every time. <laughs> every we time. always have to like forecast, you know? It's well, like because like there's there's a, there's like three every month. But like we don't know what month this is gonna come Which out. Which one is gonna land on? Yeah, it could land yeah. in November, it could be first week of October, it could be la- or first week of uh December. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Well yeah. whoever you are, shout out thank to sponsors. you. Appreciate you guys. You'll you'll best. see them with big, nice, beautifully designed nice logos. Banner right right here. on the banner at the bottom of the of the frame. Check their links out in the description. Sponsor could be you. Yeah. yeah, if you want yep. a sponsor, right here, <laughs> hit us up. DM us on Instagram. Yeah, we're, we're always looking for sponsors. Yeah, it, it's actually what keeps the lights on us doing yep. this. Like yep. we just we came to Miami we got a lot of to do we all this. Feed. So we had a whole team we feed in the back end. <laughs> so like, uh, we need the sponsors. Also, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, share us with a friend. If you have any good ideas for guests, too, comment below. That's always yeah, helpful. Yeah. We've gone through a lot of guests. We always need ideas for more. Yeah, yep. but there's also a lot of people we can do. So yeah. It's always fun meeting new people. But anyways, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, bro. Appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It was a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank yeah, you. We'll see you guys, you guys in the next one. one. Later.